Today's scripture reading is Colossians 1, verses 1 through 8, and it's on page 1165 of your Pew Bible. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Thanks, honey. So, I have lived... Do I have the right Bible? Amen. I love it when you're just surrounded by the Word of God. It's great. I, uh... So I have lived in a lot of different places. I was born in Wyoming, lived there for 22 years. Then I moved to Colorado. Then I moved to Massachusetts to go to seminary. Then I moved to Maryland, served in a church there, uh, found a wife, got married, Maryland. Yeah. I needed all the help I could get. God's like, I got to send him to Maryland if he's ever going to get married. And then I moved to New Jersey. So I've lived in a lot of different places. And, you know, each location there is something unique or many things that are unique about the people and the culture and just certain things that sort of, sort of stand out. And New Jersey, of course, is, is a place that is unique, has its own unique things. The people are unique in a number of different ways uh, in relation, at least in comparison to the other places that I've lived. For example, the people in New Jersey have the best taste in food of anywhere I've lived. The food here, we love the food. We think people in New Jersey, they know when something's terrible. Uh, And so then the restaurant goes out of business. I've lived in places, I'm like, how is that restaurant still in business? It would never stay in business in New Jersey because everybody would know that it's terrible. Uh, So the the taste, everybody here's got good good sense of taste. Um, Also, one of the things that is somewhat unique, I mean, it's not unique, I think, to New Jersey, although maybe New Jersey has it in the greatest potency, perhaps, is there's just an upfrontness, a straightforwardness that comes through from people in New Jersey where you know exactly where they stand, whether you want to hear it or not. There's a little more of that, just kind of straight up, which, which you know, can be rough sometimes, but I've also come to appreciate uh, in other ways as well. Um, and then another thing that I've found is unique, although it's not unique, but I have come to discover that I think people in New Jersey, compared to the other places I've lived, are more this way than the other places that I've lived. And that is that people in New Jersey are exhausted. People in New Jersey are exhausted. And, and actually, I mean, everywhere that I've lived, people are exhausted. But in New Jersey, you get the medal. You get the gold medal for being exhausted. Today we're starting off a, a brand new series uh, called, well, on the book of Colossians. And the book of Colossians is a book in the New Testament that was written in the year, about year 62 A.D. 
It was written about 30-some years then after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, It's a letter. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. He wrote it to the Christian community in the town of Colossae. And he, he, he is writing to them, and he's, he's encouraging them. He's encouraging them. He's writing to them, and he's encouraging them. And, that, and that's sort of the, the basic background of this book. It's a letter. It's important to remember this. This is a letter that he wrote to the people in the town of Colossae. And there's, there's really there's a simple theme that he wants to drive home. It's really very simple. And it's what he's hoping to sort of remind the people of Colossae the Christian community there, and it's, it's simply this. It is that Jesus is over all things. Jesus is Lord over all things. And that, that is at the heart of what the Christian faith is. It's incredibly simple. It's incredibly straightforward. Jesus is over all. And he's reminding them because what he's finding is that they're getting distracted they're getting distracted from this central truth. And I think it's easy for, for Christians to get distracted from this and for our faith, especially what will happen is that our faith can begin to sort of syncretize with other aspects of culture, other aspects of society. It can sort of collude with it and get a little bit confused. You know, for, for example, maybe in Africa where the Christian faith sometimes sort of colludes with African tribal religion, and so it, it can kind of get syncretized and we can become sort of a mixture of the two, and we can get distracted. Christians can get distracted from the centrality of Jesus. Uh, this happens in America. This happens in all, all kinds of different ways in which our faith colludes with other aspects of culture and society. Uh, in America, certainly, we see pockets of Christianity sort of colluding and syncretizing with contemporary views on morality and values. And so you see them beginning to sort of syncretize and collude. Uh, you, you see, actually, America has a, a rich and somewhat unfortunate history of the Christian faith and politics colluding and being syncretized. Uh, you, you find there are, certainly have been times in which we, we find Christianity colluding with a political ideology from the left, kind of syncretizes with it. Uh, today, I think we find in some evangelical circles it beginning to collude with political ideology on the right, and it can just syncretize in all of these different ways, and, and it begins to confuse us. It begins to confuse us uh, and pull us away from the centrality, this simple truth, and, and that's what Paul wants to do. He just wants them to see this, that Jesus is Lord over all. And that's, that's what we're going to see as we sort of move through this. When we come to the second half of chapter 1, we come to the second half of, of chapter 1, this is where he really drives this home. And, and really what he's doing is he, he has a, a hymn. It looks like he's basically reciting a hymn that was probably sung in the early Christian community. And it's a hymn that simply exalts Jesus as Lord over all. And, and it it says, I mean, it says that Jesus, get, get ready for this, Jesus created everything, and Jesus holds everything together. He created everything, and he holds everything together. Can you get any more overall than that? And that's what we're going to discover. We're going to unpack that in a, in a couple of weeks 
we'll go through that. But he's just, he's just trying to remind the people in, in the town of Colossae that, that Jesus is Lord over all. But he's not just trying to get them to acknowledge this, right? He's not just trying to get them to a, agree with him. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. Jesus is Lord over all. What he's really after is he wants them to submit to it. He wants them to submit to the authority of Jesus. Not just acknowledge, oh yeah, I know that Jesus is Lord over all, he's control over all, um, as something that we just sort of acknowledge as a piece of doctrine perhaps. He's saying, no, I, I want them to submit to Jesus as the authority over all. Not just kind of pay lip service to it, right? Because, I mean, we can do that. I mean, anybody can just say, oh, yeah, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is, is King. But, but then is any, is any area of their life really submitted to that reality? Right? I mean, I, I think we see people in all walks of life. We sometimes we even see politicians making statements about their faith here and there. We've seen this for, for decades in, in my, my lifetime anyways. All kinds of different politicians. And sometimes they'll say something, but you don't know. Are they really, are they really submitted to that? I mean, maybe they even think that, but are they... Is there anything in their life that demonstrates that they're really submitted to that reality? So he just doesn't, he doesn't want us to just acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, but to submit to that authority. Now, here's the problem. <clears throat> you know, we don't like to submit to authority, do we? People, especially today, we really, we don't like to submit to authority. And I think Americans... To be honest with you, just, it's almost part of our American identity is that we are hesitant of authority. We sort of are suspicious of authority. We don't want to submit to authority, right? I mean, I mean to a certain extent, and I'm sure uh, Bruce can correct me afterwards if this is totally off, but you, you, you might even say that the American experience, the American experiment, excuse me, the American experiment was like, you know, let's create, let's create a nation where there's as little authority over us as possible because we've, we've been under authority and we don't like it. So we want to create a system where there's as little authority over us as possible, right? And then the Bill of Rights is there to limit the authority of government because we, we don't want to be under authority. When you think about the American dream, the poster child of the American dream is, is the entrepreneur, the person who goes out on their own and, and accomplishes it. And, and every, you know, the American wants to be the entrepreneur. Why? Because we don't want to work for somebody. I don't want to submit to some sort of authority. I mean, so we're just kind of hesitant of this whole idea of submitting to an authority. We don't want to submit to anything other than ourselves. But here's, here's, here's the other problem. Everyone submits to authority whether they realize it or not. Everybody submits to authority. Whether they think they're submitting to authority or not, they are submitting to, to some form of authority. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's unpack that a little. What, what do we mean by an authority in our lives? An authority in our lives is this. An authority is anything or person that has power over you. That's what an authority is. An authority is anything or person that has power over you, that, that sort of controls how you live your life. Now, of course, we have our formal authorities, and that's kind of what we think about. We think about our formal authorities, right? So you've got governmental authority, which has power 
over us. Then you've got authority structures in the workplace, right? So your boss has authority over you, limited authority over you. Uh, If you're uh, in in school, if you're in school, your teachers have a a sort of authority over you. you. If you are living in your parents' home, then your parents have a certain level of authority over you. Now, let me just say, I want to just say it's exciting to see some of our young adults here uh, in, in the service with us, right? I see Julia, and I see Luke and Tommy, and I see Gabe. I'm not sure. I see Andrew. And I just want you to know we're really excited that you are here with us in the service this morning. We're glad that you're here with us. And it's possible that the reason that you're here is because you're under your parents' authority, Right? I mean, that, that might be why you're here, right? And, and there might be a lot of things that you end up doing you don't really want to do, but your parents have authority over you. And maybe you, you're one that you kind of look forward to that day when you can kind of shed that authority, right? You just kind of look. I mean, I know I did. You're like, I can't wait to get out of the house. And then I can make the decision, you know, curfews, and I can get out from under my curfew. And, and, and then maybe you're like, I can't wait to get done with school because I'm so sick and tired of my teacher having authority over me. I mean, my, 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 my poor daughter, she's just getting started first week of kindergarten, she's like, they made me sit in a desk all day, right? And she's just getting started, right? So maybe, maybe you would love to be able to just, you can't wait to get out from underneath that authority. And then maybe when you get done with school, you can go off and you can start your own business and then, and then you'll shed all of that authority. But here's my hope for you is that this very morning, you will come to understand maybe for the first time that that authority that your school has over you, that authority that that, that maybe your, your parents have over you is, is nothing, is nothing compared to the various authorities that are vying, that are vying for your submission right now. They're nothing. Your parents' authority is, is small and it's temporal and it, it has very little grip compared to these other authorities that are vying for your submission. What are these authorities that I'm talking about? Well, let me just name a few. A nice house. A nice car. A wonderful boyfriend. Donuts. Cake. Chocolate. Alcohol. Coffee, entertainment, sex, career success, uh, reputation, re- reputation in the, in the workforce, uh, reputation within your family, reputation at school, reputation at church. And I, I could go on and on and on, and what these things are is these are authorities that are vying for our submission. And so if you're here, if you're a young adult here, here's what I want to say to you is, is do you know, do you know somebody, an adult maybe that you know, boy, they, they, you're right, they are under authority. They are submitted. Do you know somebody who's maybe submitted to the authority of their nice house? Like everything is about their house, and if it's not right, then they do anything they can to make it right. And if it's not right, they got to get a different one. And or, or maybe they're submitted to the authority of their car, and they want that car, but they have this car, or they have this car, and they'll do anything to make sure they don't lose this car because they're submitted to the authority that it has over them. 
Do you know someone that, that maybe they're submitted to the authority that food or alcohol has over them, that, that it seems they submit to it, it dictates how they live their life and what they do. Do you know anybody like that, especially you young people? Do you know that? Because my hope is right now, if you're thinking, I can't wait to get out from under the authority of my parents and under the authority of school, under the authority of all that, and go my own way, I hope that you'll realize that that is nothing compared to the authorities that are vying for your submission right now. How do you know, how do you know uh, that you've submitted to something as an authority? Well, there, there are a number of different indicators that something has become sort of an authority over you in some respect or not. Uh, these are just a couple of indicators. They don't, they're not, they don't cover everything. But, but basically, how you spend your time and how you spend your money are two of the greatest indicators of what authorities you're submitting to. Now, it doesn't, again, it doesn't cover everything. Uh, donuts are not very expensive, and they don't take very long to eat, do they? So, you, but you could still have, an, that, that food can have an authority over you that may or may not require a lot of money or time. So, time and money, don't, they don't cover all of them, but, but they're still, good, it's a good place to start in terms of indicators of things in your life that have become authoritative in your life, things that that take your time and take your money. What's interesting is I've discovered that, you know, different, and again, this is just a, a, a broad statement, but I've discovered that different areas of the country, it's, it's different things. So, for example, out west, where I came from, Colorado and Wyoming, the greatest indicator that something has submission over them isn't necessarily money. It's time. It's time. It's not so much that they spend a lot of money on something. It's the time that they spend. So, so for example, somebody out west might have submitted to the authority of fishing. They just love to fish. I mean, they, they just love to fish, and they fish, and they fish, and they go fishing every weekend. And fishing doesn't really cost a whole lot of money. That's pretty inexpensive to just you know, be a fisherman. It's not really that big deal. And so you, you get people out west, they'll say something like, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not an idolater. I don't have idols. You realize that's what we're talking about, right? We're just talking about idols from another angle. You know, I just say the same thing every week, right? I've told you that before. So we're talking about idolatry again, just using different labels. But so somebody out west in Colorado or Wyoming, they'll say, I don't have any idols. I mean, I don't, I don't even need money. I don't even need money. I'm like, yeah, but you go fishing every weekend, even during your high school, your son's high school graduation. And you don't think that that has some sort of power over you? You don't think that somehow you're submitting to that kind of an authority? Right, so so, so um, some idols, some authorities are determined by, they just take up your time. Now, one of the things I've discovered is that in New Jersey, it seems to me that a lot of the authorities that we submit to, it's about money. That they demand our money. And in, in fact, they don't really necessarily demand our time. We don't really even have time for them in the first place. Right? right? I mean, so, so the, the nice house demands your money. It doesn't demand your time. That's why nobody ever spends any time in their nice house. Right? That, that nice car, um, it doesn't demand your time. It just demands your, your money. You don't have time to drive it. You're at work, right? So it, it doesn't demand, I mean, well, you don't, you don't have time because you're too busy working. So actually, I'm lying to you. Because those authorities demand both your time and your money, but the time isn't with it. It's doing work to get to keep the thing. So it actually demands both your time and your money, which is why people in New Jersey are the most exhausted. 
I mean, everybody's exhausted. In all the places that I lived, everybody's exhausted. But as I said at the beginning, people in New Jersey are, I think, the most exhausted because the authorities that we submit to demand so much more. They demand our time and they demand our money. And of course, you know, why, why do we do this? Why, why, do we, why do we submit to these authorities? And we submit to these authorities, and this is obvious, because they, we think they're going to make our life better. That's why you submit to an authority. I mean, going back to formal authorities. You know, when you vote for a presidential candidate, you vote for the one that you think is going to make your life better. Right? That you're saying, that's the authority I want to submit to because that authority is going to be able to make my life better. That's what you do. So, so these authorities that we submit to, they're, they're authorities that we think are going to make our life better. And this is my question I want to ask you today is, are those authorities really making your life any better? Or are they just making you exhausted? Are those authorities that you're submitting to, and you know what they are, are they really making your life better? Or are they just making you more exhausted? Now, they, they tend to, they're kind of tricky. They'll kind of make your life better at first. Oftentimes they will. It'll, it'll seem like it's making your life better to kind of lure you in, to kind of, kind of trick you. So at first... It'll make your life better. But then over time, you come to realize, actually, this is, this is not making my life better. This is making my life worth, worse because I'm exhausted. And so the Apostle Paul, what he wants us to do is he wants us to turn from all of those authorities and submit to the only authority who can really make your life better, and that's Jesus. We're going to discover as we go through the second half of this chapter what it is, what kind of authority does Jesus have? Because Jesus, will see, actually has the authority to make your life better. It's unbelievable what he goes on to say. Okay, so here, here, here's the gospel. Here's, here's the story that's going to unfold, what he's going to unpack in, in this section here. Is that this is the, the Christian faith. Is that God... Are you ready for this? God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. That in the person of Jesus Christ, he was united with humanity. So God became man in the person of Jesus. In history, historically, this happened. God came in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when you look at Jesus, when you look at Jesus, not only do you get a glimpse of who God is, but you also get a glimpse of who we are intended to be. You get both. You look at Jesus, you get a glimpse of both who God is and you get a picture of who we are intended to be. So then when Jesus dies on the cross, what you discover is who God is. God is a God who is of complete selfless love. That's all he is. He is complete and total selfless love. So you look at Jesus on the cross and you see who God is, and then you look at the cross and you see who humanity was also made to be. That we were also made to give of ourselves in complete sacrificial love. That's the cross. Then Jesus rises from the grave, rises from the grave, and, and then Paul's going to go on to say, and then his, he's going to come again to renew and to restore everything. All of creation, renew, restore 
all of creation, and then we get to be in eternal fellowship with him and reign over all of creation. Now, let me ask you something. Can your house, can your car, or your donuts offer you that? Paul wants us to see why would you submit to any other authority? Oh, and not just that, but submitting to the authority of Jesus won't leave you exhausted. You know why? Because when you submit to the authority of Jesus, listen to this carefully, he demands nothing. He demands absolutely nothing. If you submit to Jesus, if you, if you submit to Jesus as Lord over all, he demands absolutely nothing. Now, listen to me. All, all those other authorities that you submit to, they demand all kinds of things, don't they? I mean, I'm telling you, that house, that house is not going to be there if you don't give the money and the time. It's not... It's not It's not going to be there. It's not going to stay there. It's not going to get fixed. It's not even going to get built if you don't, right? If you don't submit, if you don't do something. But see, God doesn't need anything from you. He needs absolutely nothing from you. He's going to be perfectly fine if you don't do anything for him. He doesn't need anything. You see, this is the heart of the Christian faith, is that in, in that submission, we submit to him, and it's entirely one way. He He gives us everything and demands nothing from us, and this is why Paul starts all of his letters the same way, grace and peace to you. Grace. It's a way of saying, you know, this this authority that you submit to demands nothing from you. It's all one way. It's it's all one way. Why would we submit to any other authority? This this is what Paul's getting. He's saying, look, and this is his prayer and his hope for this community in Colossae is that that they would submit to Jesus as Lord over all things. And that's, that's my prayer for our church. My prayer for us is that as we move through this over the next two months, two and a half months, something along those lines, that, that we would become a church that increasingly relinquishes our submission to these other authorities and submits entirely to the authority of Jesus in our lives? And and can you imagine, can you imagine what a community would look like? A community of people that were truly submitting to Jesus as Lord over all. Can Can you even imagine what that would look like? Well, you don't actually have to because Paul gives us a glimpse of it right here in this first section, actually. Because what's clear is that he, he seems to think that that actually is what the community in Colossae is like, or at least was like. I think he thinks they're starting to get distracted. They're starting to, get, they're starting to pull away from this, but, but he sees that this is how they were. They were a community that submitted to Jesus as Lord. And, and, and so we're going we're gonna to see here, as we look at this, what do you get? When you have a community of people who submit to the lordship of Jesus over their life, you know what you get? You get a community whose love for one another and for other people cannot be contained. 
when you get a community of, of people who relinquish their submission to these other authorities and they submit entirely every area of their life to the authority of Jesus, you get a community of people whose love for one another and love for others cannot be contained. That's what we see here, okay? So verse 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Okay, what's Paul getting at here? Here's what he's saying. He's saying the church in Colossae, they have come to have hope. They have come to have the hope of the gospel. They have come to have the hope that comes from heaven. When it says you have, ha- you have hope, we have heard of your, the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, that's not just simply talking about a hope that you go to heaven when you die. It's more talking about, it's talking about the power of heaven, the power of heaven that is stored up, that is going to come and renew and restore all things, and we know that because of the gospel. He's saying we know we have this hope in what will come, the hope in the power of God in heaven that will come and renew and restore all things, and we have that hope because of the gospel. And so then what what he's saying is that the the church in Colossae, they have this hope, and then two things spring from that. Two things spring from this hope that they have in the gospel. It says the first one is faith, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, what is faith? Well, here, faith is submission to the authority of Jesus. That's what Paul means when he says faith. It's a submission to... It's not just, oh, I, I believe Jesus is Lord. It's, it's that full submission. So you say they've submitted, right? And then what, what else springs from this? Your, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. And then it talks about how this love is growing and spreading. And, and then it goes on and talks about you learned it from, from Epaphras. It seems that what happened is that this man, Epaphras, this is what most scholars think, is that Epaphras heard the hope of the gospel from Paul when Paul was preaching in Ephesus. And so the gospel took root in, Ep- in Epaphras' heart, and he had the hope of the gospel, and so what sprung from that was faith. What sprung from that in Epaphras was this faith and this submission to Jesus. So he submitted to him, and so then what happened? Well, then what sprung from him was a love for others that could not be contained. And so then Epaphras went, and he started sharing the hope of the gospel with this community in Colossae, and they actually started a a church there. He starts a church, and so he just, because of the hope of the gospel, the the love of God is just springing out from him, and it cannot be contained, and it's spreading, and it's growing. And so we get this picture of what happens when a community of people will submit themselves to the authority of Jesus, that, that there is this love that springs from us that cannot be contained. And you know why? You know why that's what springs forth when you have the hope of the gospel because this is what we were always made to do we were always made to simply love others that that was always it that was always it but you see once we were separated from god when we're separated from god then here's what happened when we're separated from the authority of god 
the submission to an authority to care for us, a submission to an authority that demanded absolutely nothing from us. Once we, we were no longer in submission to that, we started submitting to all these other authorities that demand our time and our money. And guess what? Now we don't have time to love anybody. So because now the authorities that we are looking to to care for us and to protect us and to make us happy and to make us feel good about life, they're so demanding that now we don't have any time to actually do what we were created to do. But when we submit to the authority of Jesus and we come to realize he demands absolutely nothing, it's entirely by his grace. Well, it's like, well, what do we do now? Oh, I know. We go love people because that's what I was made to do in the first place. What would it look like if a community relinquished their submission to all of these various authorities and submitted entirely to the lordship of Jesus, you would have a community that is, has a love for people that simply cannot be contained. And here's, here's what I want to say, is that I see that happening in this church. I see I see people beginning to surrender and submit themselves to the authority of Jesus. And what I see springing from that is a love for others. I see some of you beginning to open up your homes. Open up your homes and invite people into your home. And, 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 and begin to invite people in the church into your home. And begin to invite other people from outside the church into your home. I, I see some of you, I'm getting into conversations with people now where that's what we're thinking about. And we're talking about is how can we help people in the community? Because the more that you submit to the authority of Jesus, that's just what you begin to think about. And I see that beginning to grow in this church. And, and so my hope for us as we continue to work through the book of Colossians, is that week after week after week, as we are presented with the authority of Jesus over all, that we would become a church that more and more submits to that authority, and then out of that would spring a love for people that cannot be contained. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you and we confess our idolatry, We confess that we have looked to other things to validate us, to make us happy. God, these are all good things that you've created for us to enjoy. But God, we've, we've looked to them instead of looking to you as our ultimate source of hope. God, I pray you would convict each and every one of us of what those authorities are in our lives that we are submitting to. God, that we might relinquish that, that we might turn to you, turn to the one who truly has authority, and that in you we might find life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.